It, it, no one's going to remember a test, but they remember incredible empowering experiences. And so a space design can help support that empowering and incredible experience. On this episode of Change the Narrative, we'll hear from designer Rebecca Hare about the importance of creating a productive workspace and how you can make your own space better, no matter your budget. Today's episode of Change the Narrative is sponsored by Participate, a network of professional learning communities. Their communities of practice engage and inspire educators with meaningful professional development around a shared purpose or goal. Join the conversation at participate.com. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. One of the best ways for me to nurture my creativity is to visit museums and art galleries. My favorite museum in Los Angeles is the Hammer. Founded by Occidental Petroleum owner Armand Hammer, the black and white striped museum in Westwood is now run by UCLA, just up the street. I like contemporary art best because it jogs my brain and forces me to think about the world differently. Thinking about art allows me to interact with it, to be a participant instead of just a passive observer. So in some ways you might say that I get to make my own experience, and each time is unique. I also like that I can choose my own path, spend as much time as I need on each artwork, or pass it by. While the artwork is carefully curated and objects thoughtfully placed, I get a say in how I move through the space and get to craft my own unique experience. I wonder what schools would be like if we approached them like curated art galleries. Experts would carefully select artifacts and rooms of content and then learners would be allowed to have flexibility and choice in how they digested that content. What might that say about our respect and trust for learners and educators? And how does the space we work in, the way we move through it, affect our relationship to knowledge and each other? So I'm really excited to have with us Rebecca Hare, uh, who is a great friend of mine and an inspiration for me. After a decade in Italy as a design consultant and creative director, Rebecca Louise Hare became fascinated with education. The young designer she hired, she found, struggled with problem solving and critical thinking. She returned to the U.S. to study education and built on her BFA in industrial design from the European Design Institute in Milan with a MAT in art from Fontbonne University, if I'm saying that correctly, in St. Louis. Uh, her master's thesis focused on design thinking and evaluating and enhancing creativity through the study of design and art. Now, Rebecca is an art and design teacher with Clayton Public Schools in St. Louis. She's also a learning space designer and co-author of the book, The Space, A Guide for Educators. Rebecca has also taught art and innovation, science, design thinking, and architecture. She has worked with a number of schools to collaboratively design learning spaces and experiences that enhance student learning, agency, and make thinking visible. That's just a very short resume, Rebecca. I don't know how you do it, but that's a lot of great stuff there. So thanks for being I sound more impressive than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well crafted. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me for this great conversation. Um, So you you said that you lived in Italy for several years before making your way back to St. Louis, Missouri. Um, That's a pretty big difference in terms of geography, but also culture. 
Um, what did you notice about the role of beauty and design in Europe that's different from the U.S., particularly, I guess, when it comes to architecture and spaces where people live or work? Beauty is a word that's used very differently in Italian culture. It's, um, it's not something that you use just because like a woman is beautiful or that's a beautiful dress. It's more of a way of life. And so you'd wake up and like, it was a bella giornata, like, and someone would do something for you and say, oh, che bello. And it's about um, experience, like all experiences should be beautiful. And it's actually interesting because when you play cards, you know, we have high cards and we have low cards. And when you play cards in Italy, you have ugly cards, brutti, and you have belle cards. So it's just a, a frame of seeing the whole world, which, um, which really changed things for me because I, growing up in the States, beauty was this thing about women and about yourself. And so instead I see beauty as just a way of life now and um, creating beautiful spaces. Everything there is really built to last. Um, things have to live for a long time, for hundreds of years. And so when they make a choice to build something or change something, the finishings should be really beautiful. They should last, they should be great quality. So even people who don't have a lot of money would get nice furniture and they would invest in quality things, which isn't always the case here. Hmm. What do you think that is? Why, why are Americans more transitory or what is it? That, is it the cost or is it something else? I think that we have more of an obsession with quantity than with quality. You know, if you go into um, and like not being seen in the same outfit or, um, you know, spending money on, on some things, but not on others. And so um, it's funny because like you go into an Italian woman's wardrobe and she has like two or three really beautiful dresses that she looks amazing in and will wear them again and again. And she shows up to a party wearing the dress she wore like the last time she saw everyone and they're like, oh, I love seeing you in that dress. It's such a beautiful dress on you. And they, have a, they, they would buy for quality and that, that really, that also changed my perspective. And that doesn't mean that I don't love, you know, inexpensive things um, as much as the next person. But no, here we'll show up with something like, look, I got this dress. You won't believe how much I spent on it, meaning how little, you know, and, and, and in Italy you'd get like, yes, this costs a lot of money, but it's so amazing and I feel incredible in it. You know, that's where some of the, our most incredible design comes from. You walk down Milan, there um, is, is furniture manufacturer company after furniture company that everything is the highest of quality. The, um, the, the, the beauty of each piece, each piece is like a work of art. And that doesn't feel out of touch with the Italian culture. It feels very much a manifestation of, of the belief system and the values of the culture. So why should we care about the design or look of our workspaces, Rebecca? Because space affects how we feel and it affects our behavior. And, you know, we choose places to go for a nice, a nice dinner. And because, not just because of like the quality of the food, but also because of the atmosphere. And so how we feel when we set up to, to do work and to be active and productive, um, that's, that has a big influence on our productivity and I think the quality of our work. I don't think that it's like, what's the best desk design? I think it's what's the best space for whatever it is that I need to achieve. There's um, you know, some great ideas about not having meetings in boardrooms, but having meetings in spaces where you're all sharing a big surface on the wall because you know, research really shows that our um, auditory processing is, is, la is far behind our visual processing. 
And so when we can talk through things and visualize them and make notes and make connections, we're actually able to process and understand the information so much better. Too often we all sit down and we put our computers up in front of us and our drinks and we make this like little barricade around us when we're trying to be productive with other people. And this is a little fortress and it, it, it creates all of these blocks from you and the people that you're trying to collaborate with. And so it's the same kind of thing with like an important meeting, an IEP meeting, instead of all sitting around a boardroom, which is a contentious kind of space. Like you're, you immediately go to like movies where someone's yelling and you're fired and you're fired. And it's just not, um, it's not a space that's really conducive to, um, to connection because of all of the blocks, all the physical blocks that are in the space. So as often as we can to make things more like a sitting room, make them more, um, more of a creative space where we're sharing surfaces and we're writing on things and we're physically open to the people around us. Um, it, and our postures change, we're leaning in instead of leaning back in those chairs. I'm just telling people that we really care about what they're saying so much more. And we're more open um, uh, to be more vulnerable around around the people that we're collaborating with um how does that affect our productivity in the case of schools um or like our ability to learn well um as far as like for for a learner i think that there's a lot of things that we have that are hierarchies that um, we're not even really aware of and uh, we set kids in desks and that's a really restrictive space they have a very limited space in front of them on which they're able to create or or um, organize their materials they're constricted to sit in a specific way, facing a really facing one, usually one speaker. And then, as a as a professional, like a, the educator in that space, you're oftentimes tethered to um, your presentation space, your device, it's a smart board or a, or, a, or a projector or a television. And so you're putting yourself up at the front. You're standing higher than everybody else, and everyone is seated below you. And so you're already mad automatically assuming who's more important and who is less important. And I was just watching um, a documentary, the abstract documentary about creatives and um, Platon, who's a photographer and has done a lot of work. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, done a lot of portrait work. It was so fascinating because when he's trying to connect to his, um, to his subject, and you see this in the scene, he sat on the floor and they were sitting up above him. And he was talking to them and asking questions. And I was watching that with my, um, my advanced photography students. And I was like, notice how he has put himself below in order to connect and is not standing up as the, as the important photographer and moving things around and creating an intimidating atmosphere. He's really humbling himself. And we see that through those hierarchies of posture. And so for me, it's like as a teacher, I often, as much as I can, I detach myself from the front. I'm sitting at the same level or in a very casual atmosphere with my students because I want them to feel like they're also drivers in their learning. That's really interesting, letting go of that, uh, that hierarchy or that power structure. What does that mean? How, how are people able to like let go of that, that power structure? Well, I think that there are times where it's going to be really useful. Like you, need, like you want to sit behind that powerful desk when you want to establish that because there are times in which it's like, no, I have to establish my authority in this moment. And sometimes like the, are the elements in that room can support that authority. And there are times where if you want the people that you're collaborating with, be they like the students or the people on your team, if you want them to feel empowered, um, to speak up and to, to take those kinds of risks, which is what we need our students to do and what you need a collaborative team to do, then you, um, you can't, a, a, a strict authority um, or hierarchy of which one person's in charge, that's not gonna unleash that in them. 
they're going to always feel evaluated. And that's why like moving off of something that feels evaluative, like a piece of paper that, you know, gets a grade on it. Um, instead of moving to something that, that feels generative, that feels um, iterative, like, like, um, like a blank surface that you can write on that instead feels, it doesn't feel like, okay, I'm going to lose my job and or get a bad grade from what I put on here. It feels temporary. And so people are able to be a little bit more open with their thinking and people are never going to be their most creative selves and think in ways that are going to really change the industries or change their learning if they, um, inside their minds, they're worried and they feel uncomfortable. They're going to, it's, they're going to go to survival mode. And survival mode does not allow you to even access that part of your brain. But it really just means like a, a definite mind shift in what we think of as teaching and learning, right? As opposed to like, we're used to being the dispensary of, of information. And so of course the desks lined up facing us are important. Um, and so that would completely change the way we think about education. And so, I don't know, chicken and egg, right? What, what do you do first? Um, My goal is like a learning space designer and as an educator is to keep having teachers reevaluate that moment in time, not to say, like, okay, so now this is the perfect chair, this is the perfect table, this is the perfect setup for my classroom. But in a moment when you realize, wow, I've lost them, or these collaborations not working well, what do I have? What, what's my higher level of understanding that, in, that I, can, I can stop this, rearrange the um, energy level in the room, rearrange the emotions, rearrange the furniture, in order to facilitate whatever it is I need to facilitate. I don't, I've never been to a movie theater where we're in collaborative seating. <laughs> you know, we, we, we need to sit and, 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 and watch the film. We want to be open to it. And, but so it's, it's, that's totally fine if you are going to be lecturing. That's probably the best place for them. But the real question is, do you want to lecture for your entire class period? Who is going to own the learning? And then that's that, then that question, are you facilitating or are you presenting? If you're facilitating, then that space won't support that. We talked about ad agencies and design firms and things like that, but what can we learn from industry that we can apply to the education field? Really allowing people to be more autonomous and giving, building more trust with, your, with the people that you collaborate with. Um, it's not trying to be, not trying to micromanage, not trying to control, but making sure that everyone has the same vision. And that's the same thing you translate that to, to education. You know, what is your goal for today? What is your goal in this next week in this course? And um, when the kids have ownership of that, then they, and you trust them to, to, to be and do what they need to be doing to achieve that goal. And you're scaffolding for that, that for them and training them in that, make, building that awareness. Mm -hmm. You're building lifelong skills in them. Um, my co-author Bobo is, is, since I've known him, has had this joke like, "What was your favorite test in elementary school?" It, it, no one's going to remember a test, but they remember incredible, empowering experiences. And so, a space design can help support that empowering and incredible experience. So true. <laughs> I can't think of one multiple choice test that I recall fondly. <laughs> no, or that you remember the information from. But you know, when you own your learning, when you created something from it. Um, that was really meaningful to you, that like that will resonate with you for the rest of your life. I don't care about the work. I care about the process they've learned, how to ha come up with an idea, how to explore that with a lot of different trial and error, how to then get feedback, how to evaluate it, how to, how to present it, and how to reflect on it. It's like if they can get that process, they can apply that process almost anywhere in the world. We'll have more from Rebecca Hare in just a moment. 
Innovation is hard to accomplish without ideas and support from trusted colleagues. Enter Participate. Their communities of practice bring together educators around common interests to foster active, intentional social learning. Join the conversation for free at participate.com. So you're talking a lot about like the physical space of how we arrange furniture and lighting and things like that. And I've read the research study that came out recently that a very cluttered classroom is actually distracting and mm-hmm. is inhibiting to the learning process. I'm sort of curious about clutter. What's your take on, on visual clutter and when it comes to designing spaces? Because I would never go into a classroom and say like, this is right and this is wrong. Um, I tried to instead build mindsets so the person feels... Um, the educator in the room and the students feel ownership and empowered by that information or that understanding addition by subtraction. So like what can you get rid of to leave more opportunity for other things to happen? And that's what happens sometimes. I've been in a classroom, my first kindergarten classroom that I worked with had six alphabets on the wall. <laughs> and it, it's not like little, little Janine is going to be like, well, now I get the G I didn't get it here, here, or here. Um, but I get it on that one way over there. That's on like underneath the, the window. So with all these other things taped on top of it, we're only able to process so much visually and, and at the same time be getting auditory information from our educator in the room at the same time. Too many teachers think that you know, like, I'm going to open up the mind and put the information inside and then close the mind and I've given it to them. But our short-term memory doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And so we're really working against like how are multiple ways we can um, engage our students in the learning, multiple ways in which we can present and represent information and the multiple ways that they can express their thinking. In the space, you you know, leaving that up, I like to leave it more for, for, for current learning and not for past learning. And the, if the information is really, really important, can it go in like a giant binder that kids learn to access? Can it go in a Google folder that they access when they need it so their mind can be focused on that one thing? And the other piece that I, I think is important is, which I've seen transform teachers and their thinking is the idea of push versus pull. If you're looking around the classroom, how much information is pushed at students? Is it something that you bought? Is it something that you generated? How much of the, the things that are on the wall are things that are pulling the learning through them, through their own creation, through their own thinking processes? And if you, and I'm not saying there's a right ratio, but what is, what would be right for you? And I have teachers go into the classroom and go, wow, it's almost all push. Hmm. I think I'd like to have more pull. And then they can start that process of being conscientious of, am I just pushing information at them or am I giving space to pull it through them? That's making me think about my own classroom right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, when I'm done here, I'm going to go rearrange some stuff on the walls. Um, <laughs> so what would be your biggest dream for schools when it comes to designing learning spaces, whether that's the architecture or whether that's just a simple classroom that's already designed? Um, I would love for that work to be a part of teacher training programs, um, that, that awareness. Um, I would love for teachers to feel more empowered and have more choices and how they're going to, what's going to happen inside their classrooms. There's a big inequity right now. And like some schools are being redesigned and many schools aren't. And so, you know, and teachers, resources are scarce and teachers are doing what they can with what they have. And so providing more resources, including time for them to have this discovery process and not being locked in that the learning happens in four walls what we're failing to do is to really think holistically on students and like the ways in which all the learning that happens across the day is interconnected. Nobody has a job that they go to like eight different bosses over the course of a day and, you know, have to do fulfill things for these eight different bosses. And um, none of those bosses are talking to each other. 
That's a great way to put it. I've never thought about <laughs> that way, but that's incredible. You're right. It just makes no sense. <laughs> no, cognitively, you can't handle that. I couldn't handle that. I had two bosses last year and I was like, whoa, all right, you guys need to touch base. it's just a lot of people that they have to follow and if we want to be making better leaders they don't need to spend so much time following right so this is again going back to this idea it's not just we change the physical space and things will be better or we declutter our classrooms and things will be better or we change our furniture this is a holistic like everything needs to change like the mindset of how we learn and where we learn and when we learn and the physical space kind of go hand in hand that's a pretty big dramatic yeah. leap. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so funny when people, like when I first started doing this, people thought like, oh, Rebecca arranges furniture. I'm like, mm. no, like <laughs> that's a physical, that's a physical manifestation of a learning experience, right? Like that's like, and if you think about your school, um, you're the non-verbals in your school, that's the manifestation of your vision. Like if you walk into a school, you have a sense of what it deeply cares about. And what it doesn't. And um, it's going to tell more about your vision and your care for students than your words ever will. And that being aware of that, like what signal am I telling my students when they come in here? And it doesn't have to be a, I care about you poster on the wall. <laughs> there are so many ways that we show that we care about people. Well, that was the next question I was going to ask you is, I mean, these <laughs> ideas sound incredible. Um, and I really want to change my workspace now too. But um, I don't have much of a budget um, and maybe I don't know what to do um, or what I'd like. And I can't remodel my space physically. I can't move walls or put in windows or things like that. And I can't lease a space in other buildings. So what are some small things that I can do right away right now that might have a big impact on how I design my workspace? You don't have to have new furniture. You don't have to, um, you know, have some fancy lighting to really change the way that a learning, the learning space supports learners. It's really about reframing how you see it. I've seen people with like very low budget, like $500 or nothing, do a little bit of training, rearrange how they see their space and completely transform it um, just by having more of a designer's mindset to it and realizing that all these things are affecting learning and either you're gonna do it intentionally or you're gonna do it unintentionally. Either way, it's going to affect the people in the space. I think the perimeter of the room, the four walls, are things that people um, are not accessing enough. So really thinking about, you know, like we tend to put all these things in the middle and then create, create this like awkward little space around all of our furniture. If you have a rectangular table, you butt it up against the wall, you actually create more space in the center of a room. And so then if you can even be better about that and put like a whiteboard or a writable surface, above that that table then all of a sudden you have a space to think visually on the wall be standing and working at and then you have a space to be sitting and building so you've got two different kinds of surfaces that would support different kinds of work i think that we don't have to think about having flexible furniture as much as we have to think about the people in the space need to be able to move and be where they need to be doing because of what they're doing but i I like your idea of you know um as you're working on different projects um, you can find the space that's right for what you're working on. So sometimes you need the, the quiet, comfy corner. And sometimes you need like the noisy, big, wide table to spread stuff out and, and do stuff with a group of people. Can you tell me what your workspace looks like? I'm sort of curious. Um, oh, I have a few different ones. Usually um, I, have, I have a desk. And so uh, I'll send you a picture of that. Uh, and I, that space is for me, like it's my little space for inspiration. 
um, I have an alcove in my house. And so I, I found this really old um, kind of rusted and rotten workbench that I think is really beautiful that fits just right in there. And then I put up some blackboards that are magnetic above that. And whatever I have going on at the moment kind of switches in and out. Sometimes it's for color. Sometimes it's just old drawings or postcards my friends have sent me from around the world. Sometimes it's just ideas or lists that I have. So that's, that's kind of constantly changing and evolving. And I have all the materials out in front of me that I could ever need if I want to be sketching, if I want to be taking notes during a meeting, if I want to paint. Um, all that stuff is right there kind of um, at the ready. So I don't have to feel like I've got to set everything out. If I'm going to sit and work um, on my computer, I'm probably not going to sit there. I'm probably going to go to my couch. If it's nicer weather, I'm outside like on my, my back patio, um, sitting and typing and doing things. And so those two different things that I need to do need different spaces to support them. What are some projects that you're working on right now that you're excited about? Oh my gosh. Well, um, because I started at the high school and this is my first year I've and I teach art and design, I've been able to redo my whole curriculum. And so I have my students um, doing things that I think like learning through a process, but also creating a, having, getting to dip their toes in a lot of different areas and ending up with a really great portfolio. But I'm also right now working with um, San Francisco Unified School District on a pilot program for them that's tech-enabled learning and how the spaces support that. And we got to go to Twitter headquarters. We did a whole day of professional development. I helped develop the system um, about what a personalized learning program looks like and um, with Lindsay Bass, and that was really amazing. And I'm also working with their um, iLab team right now on um, a grant that's been given to transform, I think we're at like 13, maybe 16 spaces across a number of schools in the Bay Area. Wow, that's incredible. I can't believe they have that like vision to do that, usually yeah. other kind of professional development. I love that. I'm jealous. No, it's incredible. It's it's actually yeah. I and it, and it's so funny because like that doesn't happen in my um you know so much in my neck of the woods. Like you're never a prophet in your own land, but I get to take everything I'm learning there, bringing it back to my own school, and then I'm also slowly, slowly, slowly working on um, my next collaborative book with um, uh, Bob Dylan on learning spaces for leaders. Where can people connect with you and see more of your work, Rebecca? Well, um, I'm on Twitter and I don't do a whole lot there, but uh, that's a good place to contact me. Well, I think people become really intimidated by it and think it's something that has to do with um, interior decoration or it has to do with aesthetics. And although that's really important, I think instead if you put like how you want people to feel first and what your vision, how a space is going to support productivity, and you put the doing, you put those verbs first, you're going to make much better decisions. And um, I think that not just to think about putting new furniture in, but really looking at the entire space, looking at all the walls, your best real estate in a room are your four walls. And how are you maximizing those to meet those goals? And so I don't think that, um, I don't think it should be something intimidating. It should be something really empowering. And it doesn't have to be a full design change. It's best when you take little steps, you give yourself a chance, you do one little change and say, it's okay, I can go back in two weeks and put it back the way it was. And then you, then you work as an anthropologist to notice how it's affected behaviors. And then you make another change. And then by the end, you really own that, um, that process and you feel really confident and you've grown as an educator or as a, as, you know, as a creative and, that's the best way forward. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. 
I love that idea of sort of incremental changes to see what works. It's the sort of design thinking process. Let's see if it's going to work and analyze it and retool it or go back if it doesn't. I mean, we're trained by watching too much HGTV that there's like the reveal. <laughs> You've got to have yeah. like these massive changes and all of a sudden, boom, it's done, you know? Thanks so much, Rebecca. This has been an amazing conversation and I'm already, I have a bunch of ideas being, you know, bouncing around in my head about what I'm going to do in my learning space. So thanks for sharing your thoughts so. and passion. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure. Find out what Rebecca's workspace looks like, as well as some of our other previous guests, on our website at changethenarrative.net. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. 